Hebrews chapter 3, we'll start reading there with verse 1 and proceed to 6. Hebrews chapter 3, and we'll go from 1 to 6. Hear these words from Scripture this morning. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the Apostle and High Priest of our confession, who was faithful to Him who appointed Him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are His house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You, Jesus, that You became the Word in flesh. Now, Holy Spirit, we pray that You would enliven these words to our hearts this morning and may we respond in full faith and obedience to You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've been talking the past few weeks, ever since Pentecost, about what is the church. Or as our sermon titles have been going, the church is, and then we've replaced that each week, so the church is born on Pentecost, the church is one, the church is holy, the church is Catholic, which was kind of an interesting Twist, and also the church today is apostolic. Another big word, another kind of angel. I mean, you don't throw apostolic around every day at work, you know. Uh, One and holy, that kind of gets thrown around in the news. But apostolic, that sounds like some backwoods country church, right? That has defined themselves as a whole list of names, and you see apostolic thrown in the mix, and nobody knows what it means. So, just like Catholic today meaning universal, meaning it's larger than just this local work. Uh, We are the whole body of Christ represented here in a specific way here, and yet the full body, the real body of Christ. So too, this term apostolic uh, may trip some up, but it is one of the marks of the church. So what is an apostle? This is where this term apostolic comes from. Apostolic. It comes from apostle. Well, the writer of Hebrews here says, quite frankly, that Jesus is the grand apostle. So, you know, you kind of think apostle, you think of the twelve apostles, or the twelve disciples, or just commonly called the twelve, who Jesus called 
discipled and then sent. Well, the term apostle actually means sent ones. It's kind of the root of what it means. To be an apostle is to be one who is sent. So notice here what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, look, therefore, brothers and sisters, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus. (laughs) Now, if you've ever read Hebrews before, you know very distinctly that he begins with Jesus, he continues with Jesus, he can't get away from Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything God did in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament or as I like to refer to it, the Older Testament. It's not old and outdated at all. Jesus fulfills it. doesn't mean it's abolished. He didn't come to do that. We, we don't cut off the Bible here, starting with Matthew. But rather, we go from the twelve minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament. Interesting, this term, this uh, numbering 12, comes up consistently in the life of Israel and also of the church. And so you have these apostles who Jesus calls to Himself, who He disciples Himself, and then sends out into the world to make disciples. The Great Commission. When He ascends, He gives His commission. The church's mission. The writer here of Hebrews, who, as you know if you've ever studied it or read it, is very aware of the Old Testament. He's bringing into focus, so to speak, the Old Testament and Jesus. And he's lining the two up so that you can see clearly how it is that Jesus fits into the fulfillment of everything God has done through the prophets. Now, if you're talking about the greatest prophet, the greatest so to speak, figure in the Old Testament, it would really be a volley between Abraham and Moses. Abraham just because he's the beginning, so to speak, here, of the whole salvific thing that God is doing in the world. But Moses is really the towering figure. Moses to the Hebrews, to the Israelites, and even to Judaism today, and even beyond Judaism to Islam... (laughs) And any monotheism in the world, which there's only three truly monotheistic faiths in the world, that is Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. That's the only three. And all of them got their monotheism from one place. The Old Testament. From one guy, Moses. That's it. No one else in all of the world in any writing that's ever been dug up or found in a cave, no one ever thought up monotheism. Apparently, we left to our own devices always tend toward polytheism. Many gods. Male and female gods. I mean, that just makes more sense to us, right? Equality. I mean, look around the room. There's many different people here, and there are male and female. Therefore, God should be like us, right? That's a recipe for idolatry. God says, I'll tell you who I am because you can't know on your own. And He tells Moses. And Moses becomes the central 
figure in the Old Testament. Writes the first five books which define everything else that happens. In other words, the historical books are based on the law, which is the first five books, the Pentateuch. The prophets are speaking a message of the law. Correction, getting them back on track to the law. God's instructions, God's revelation. All based on what was revealed to one man on Mount Sinai. So you can imagine the shock factor for Jews, for now the writer of Hebrews to say what he says about Moses. Notice in verse 2, who was faithful to him who appointed him just as Moses. So what he says, look, consider Jesus. And then for Jews, because apparently Hebrews was written with Jews in mind, he says, look, consider Jesus, who was like Moses. Now that's today, we're thinking, why would he, you know, shouldn't that be the other way around? But see, for a Jew, Moses was it. He was the central... No, he was also faithful in God's house. For Jesus was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. So, we just moved into a new house. We have a builder. And they say, well, maybe the house is more important than the builder. Well, maybe to you at, at, at a very temporary moment. But what happens if your house burns down? Well, you still got the builder. He can build the thing back. So too with Jesus. Moses, he's going to die. And he did. God even called him up to die. <laughs> hey, let's have your own private funeral here. It's time for you to go. Jesus will not die. Jesus is the builder, the writer of Hebrews here says, of all things. He's the, you know, when I have a problem, I get on the horn and I call the builder. Horn using my dad's jargon for phone call. Doesn't that sound like him? It does. I just didn't do it in the southern draw that he has. But I get on the phone. And I call my builder and say, hey, look, I've got a place here that looks you know, like, it's, like it's dented in. And he sends a guy out to fix it. Our builder is God. Who do we call? We call on God. It's what we've been doing this morning in our service. We spoke our request. We had our, we had our little punch list, so to speak. And then we called the builder of all things. And as you know, the writer of Hebrews is very adamant and centered on the fact that Jesus is greater than Abraham, Jesus is greater than Moses, Jesus is greater than the angels, Jesus is greater than the Old Covenant, Jesus is greater than the High Priest, Jesus is greater than the sacrifices. You get the point yet? He's a good teacher, isn't he? Repetition. Jesus is greater. And so too in this thing of... You say, well, why would we talk about the church being one, holy, Catholic, apostolic? And why even use these words? Well, because the Bible speaks of the church being one, being holy, being Catholic, being universal, being apostolic. So what does this thing apostle mean? What means sent one? Now, he says to consider Jesus because, notice this, He is our Apostle. 
the apostle, verse 1 says. And he's the high priest. So if we're going to start with a definition of what an apostle is, we need to look at Jesus Christ as the writer of Hebrews. I keep referring to him this way because, quite frankly, no one knows who it is. He doesn't tell us. He just goes right into his sermon, which many people think these are small sermons, vignettes, uh, that are compiled together to make one cohesive book that's really a pretty famous book within the New Testament. Jesus is an apostle because He was sent, was He not? The Father sent Jesus. So He is the apostle. Now, Jesus too sends twelve apostles, which makes them apostles again because apostle has the idea of sent one. So we too, the Scripture says, can be an apostle. There were apostles outside of the original twelve. Barnabas was considered an apostle. An apostle means and has the idea that you are sent by God. We don't meet here just to, just to rally ourselves and kind of have a pep rally uh, to ourselves and then have no game. No, there is a game that we attend to. If this is a pep rally, if we're here to, to you know, pump each other up in here, it's for the fact of sending one another out. It's never for the fact of just getting our jollies here and going home and keeping it to ourselves. That's what you call stagnant. It's what becomes of a cesspool. It has no living water that runs in and out. No, we're running in and out. We don't even own this building. <laughs> we just use it for our pep rally. In order to come in and say, look, I'm going to remind myself and I'm going to remind you of who you are, what your calling is, and what it is we're to be about this week. We don't move out into our jobs, into our playtime, just to please ourselves. Not as Christians. That's what makes us different. We have a higher calling than the boss calling. Or than our biking buddies calling. Or golfing buddies. Or whatever it is you do for fun. And fun is good. And fun is fun to me. I have to have fun. <laughs> I don't, I become a very cranky person. And Jessica knows this, so she sends me out to the mountains sometimes to ride my bike. There's a release that I get in the mountains. You know, I hear the call of the wild. There's something adventurous that God has put into men, and we need to attest to that. We need to, we need to tend to that. That's, something, that's the way He's created us. Jesus is sent by the Father to rescue the world. And that's also what we're doing. It's an amazing thing, but Jesus specifically says, just as I was sent, in John 20, so now I am sending you. Now, He really says something next that our Catholic friends seem to understand a little bit better than our Roman Catholic friends. Let me be, put a little asterisk beside that. Uh, seem to understand a little better, better than us because what He says next is kind of troubling to us. He says, whoever you forgive their sins, they are forgiven. Whoever you do not forgive their sins, they are not forgiven. We say, oh, hang on. I don't have that kind of... <laughs> I'm not a priest. <laughs> I thought as Protestants we believed in the priesthood of all believers. We are to have a reconciling ministry, all of us. 
we're to be forgiving. That's a calling we have on our life is to forgive. I mean that person at work. I mean that family member. That's a ministry. It's a higher calling than even your family. Jesus says, just as I was, just as I was sent, so now I send you. Notice what he says in Luke 10. In Luke 10, he says in 16, the one who hears you, now remember, he just sent out 72 disciples to go and speak the gospel, speak the good news, and to heal. He says now in 10 and 16 of Luke, he says, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects Him who sent me. That's the Father. So, when you're in a service, and what the minister, what the song, what the prayer is saying through that person to you, and you reject that, God is nudging you by the Holy Spirit, you need to repent. You have a stronger calling on your life. You need to give your time. You need to give money. You need to sacrifice here. You need to ask your wife to forgive you. And when you reject that word, it's rejecting Jesus. It's no game what we're doing in here. It's not a game. This is real. This is real life. Here... We represent Christ. Just as if you kill an ambassador, you killed the president, so too to hear the minister, to hear the songs, to hear the prayers, to hear the creed, and reject that is to reject Jesus Christ Himself. It's not just rejecting humans. It's rejecting the human, Jesus Just as I was sent, so now I send you. That's humbling for anybody. We have a strong calling on our life that is above our boss's pay grade. You know how they say it? I don't work in the corporate world, but... Yeah. Our calling is beyond me... Yourself, your family, your job, your playtime. It's a calling to be Christ in the world. Amen. And writer of Hebrews says, <laughs> in order to do that, you've got to consider Jesus. There's no way you can do that on your own. Now, we talk about being an apostle as being a sent one. Jesus being, of course, the premier apostle. But there also were apostles that now have passed down, so to speak, 
the word of truth to us. The gospel. The Bible. The Bible didn't just fall out of heaven. There was a process involved in getting it to this nice leather $5 copy that I have today. Many people involved. Some that gave their life for these words to come to us nice and in the vernacular. We now, as the church, have a mission to retain these words to guard the gospel. That's part of our job. Just as it's part of the job in the military, if you're a Marine, and as you know, I've already read three SEAL books. And so this is kind of shaping this week's thoughts. You know, um, If you're a SEAL, you know, you've got certain traditions to uphold. In the military, they're very specific about certain traditions to uphold. At your work, there may be some things that they want upheld. A philosophy of doing work. A way to do things. We too have been deposited, the Bible says, with the gospel. Someone has made a deposit in our life of the good news of Jesus Christ. And now it's our job to retain that Make sure it doesn't slip to the side. Make sure it doesn't go to the back burner. But instead stays at the fore of everything we do. And we are charged with guarding that gospel. Guarding these words. So when someone is attacking the Bible, what's your job to guard that? I mean, there are... I mean. <laughs> There are so many attacks against the Bible today, it's ridiculous. And yet, 90% of them don't even have a founding. It's just people's perceptions. That if you were just to sit and talk with them and say, that's actually not even in the Bible. You realize that, right? That's not even what the Bible's trying to do. That most of it would go away without even any argument. People just assume certain things about the Bible that's untrue. It's our job to guard against heresy against wrong-headed understanding of Jesus. It's always been the church's job to safeguard that. Just like it's certain military, you know, in, in the SEAL world, for instance, they have certain things that they guard against. That, you know, for instance, Marcus Luttrell, who wrote, wrote the book Lone Survivor, he said that when he was finally rescued, that the army rescued him. Now he's part of the Navy. He said when the army rescued him, there was an army ranger who gave him a big hug. And he said he wanted to cry, but knowing as he was a Navy SEAL, he would never cry in front of a ranger. Well, that was a tradition that he had to uphold, even though he was ready to burst into tears. <laughs> and later did. Um, so too, we as the church, we have been deposited something that has changed the world for 2,000 years, shaped our Western civilization, the 21st century. It's not meant to be just put to the side. It's meant to be guarded because it's the Word of God. It's the revelation of God. It's something that we can't know about God on our own. That's what's in here. As I've often said, you know, people say kind of, 
generally, the Bible has all of life's answers. Well, it doesn't tell me how to fix my mountain bike when I have a rock thrown into the chain and it bends the, the teeth. It doesn't tell me how to fix that. No, it has answers that we can't know on our own. We can't know that God is one and yet three persons in one. There's no mathematical reasoning that gets us there eventually. Now the philosophers get close. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. Always remember them because of spa. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. That's the order historically they find themselves in. They got close. The unmoved movers close to monotheism, but, but one God who's dynamic? Is that just some grandfather up in heaven that can't see very well and whistles when he talks? Come here, sonny. Hands out candy and sugar daddies all day? No, that's not the God that is revealed here. Any God that we've ever conceived in all the religions of the world never comes to what we find here. And Christians have been deposited this Word, this good news. And yet oftentimes we don't act like it's good news. Act like it's even worth sharing with someone. And yet we're charged to uphold this deposit. If you have your Bible real quick, go to 1 Timothy. And chapter 3 and verse 15. Notice what he says here. If I delay... Well, let me back up a little bit to 14. I hope, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And then flip over a few more pages to 2 Timothy. So what he calls the church is the, a pillar of the truth. 2 Timothy 1, starting with the second part of 12, says, I am, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Therefore, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So what is it? Yeah, we're sent. We're sent into the world to be Christ in this world. In other words, the church is the presence of God in the world. We're it. As I told you last week, we are it in this room. It's kind of like, again, you know, in that SEAL team, when they get into a pickle, so to speak, in a, in a firefight, that's it. They're, I mean, hey, at that moment, they're all they got. We're all God has here in this room. We're the best He's got. You are the best He's got. You are sent. Not me, not the person a couple chairs down. You are sent this week into His world. He gave you that job because you're sent. Because you're called. Because you're His disciple. We have a good deposit. 
<laughs> and not only that, we have the Word of God, yes, but we are called to become the Word of God incarnate. Amen. In the flesh. So we not only have the written Word, but we are to, just as Jesus did, clothe ourselves in this Word and become it in the flesh. The Word is always comes to us incarnate. God never just gives us a scroll and says, if you can check that off, you'll be good. Instead, He sends a scroll, a book, and a person. We always need a person, not just a word. In other words, when my kids get scared in a thunderstorm, which they do now because of April 27th, two years ago, or maybe three, can't remember, they get scared. They get scared. And I can say up there, it's okay, no tornadoes tonight. That still doesn't calm them down. You know what finally calms them down? Is if they're on my leg. Is if they are with me. They don't need just a, a spoken word. Your co-workers, your friends, your family, the world doesn't need, just need our spoken word. It's not enough just to come up and say, hey, are you going to heaven or hell? It must be lived out in our lives. We must become the gospel of Jesus Christ Amen. in the way we live. That's a big calling. It's a big calling. And yet, you've been entrusted with that. You have. You know, oftentimes, I know this is kind of, this is kind of dumb, but when I'm riding my mountain bike, I get to a point uh, on the mile and a half up, that I, or mile that I go up to do my warm-up. <laughs> I start thinking to myself, i gotta, I got to stop. You know? Or maybe I get to another tough place like I was yesterday, and, I, and, I, and I'm hitting rocks, and I just want to stop and take a 20-minute break. I said to myself, and I know this is dumb, but I said to myself, I'm a seal. I can do this. I can push beyond this because I don't quit and I don't give up. My teammates are counting on me. I've got to make it to the top without stopping. It's something about identity. You know, sometimes we do this in family. We said to ourselves, yeah, those dags, they love to argue. And we're very good arguers. And somehow that fuels our arguing. You know, we too as Christians are in a family, aren't we? It's not just some cheap family. It's not a boring family. (laughs) We have people from all over the world that make up this family. We have a 2,000 year history, and if you want to count the Old Testament, even more than that. No, we come from a rich tradition of people and places. People who, against all odds, defeated slavery. Started the Salvation Army. Went to other nations and gave up their life so that China could hear the Gospel and the underground church could be started. You see, we don't come from some cheap family. When things get tough here, when obedience becomes tough, when forgiveness is tough, think about the rich tradition. That's what the seals do. Marcus Luttrell, when he was out there alone, his buddies had died. The last thing his buddy told him, he said, tell Cindy, his wife, that I love her. And he said, I had to do that. 
That pushed me. That drove me. Even though he was dehydrating. Even though he was shot and tired and wanted to give up. That rich tradition and training pushed him on. Let me tell you something. We come from a rich tradition. There is a cloud of witnesses that's cheering us on this morning. You can do it! We're still in the game. They've hit the sidelines because they've played their game. They've lived this life. They were faithful to the end. Now it's your turn. Now it's my turn to pick up the baton, to carry on the torch. We've been deposited with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He owns everything, He's the builder of all things. And the last thing we're called to do as apostles is to transmit that gospel to the world. It's not just about guarding it. That's part of it. That's a real part of it. But it's also about transmitting that out to the entire world. We are transmitters. We're the sound waves that make it to the most remote places in the world. Places that the pastor can't even get into because of security clearances. In this area. But you can. You know those people. Not many people may, but you do. Not many people may be able to angle themselves into that family, but you're in it. And we're called to be light. We're called to be salt. We're not only called to be salt and light, Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, He says, You are the light of the world, you are the salt. Of the earth. We are to have in the church an exposing ministry. We're to expose people to Jesus Christ. We're to expel the darkness in our world. Where those people are hurting, where people are forgotten, we're to expose the, the darkness by casting light there. And salt preserves. We're to preserve the world. We are what... The world would be in utter chaos if it were not for Christ in this world. How is Christ in His world? Through His body. What is His body? The church. You. And we're also meant to flavor our world. As salt, it flavors. Your life ought to be the aroma of Jesus Christ Himself this week. It's what we're called to do. (laughs) So, the church is apostolic. A fancy way of saying we are sent. We're called to guard this gospel of ours. Put it in our hearts even. So no one can take it away from us and become it for other people. Not just for not just to be some holy statue, but for the sake of the world. Because we're sent to the world to transmit these words, the Word of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, to all of the world. It's a great mission. It's a big mission. It's bigger than yourself. You cannot do it alone. It's what the first thing they do to, is teach you in SEALs training, in BUDS training. You can't do this thing alone. You have to have your team You work for your team. You die for your team. 
The church is a team. Are you a one-man show? Because that's not the way things work here. Not in this family. Everybody has to pull their load. Everyone is called. Everyone is sent. Do you know the Apostle this morning? Jesus? It's not a game. This is it. This is the real deal here. When we bust out of these doors... We're hitting God's world and His mission in the world. Don't live for yourself. It'll never work out. It never has. It's a boring way to live, quite frankly. Live for something greater than yourself. Live for the one who was sent and who now turns to us this morning and sends us out. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Because if you're not, you can be this morning. Right now, He is ready to meet you here. Let me tell you, when He deposits that good news in your life, your trajectory will, tra- will change to affect the whole world. It's never just about you. It never can be in the end. Do you know Him this morning? You can. If you'll trust Him and repent of your sins and believe on Jesus Christ. Amen.